0: And welcome to Better Yet. I'm too crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Joe Steinhardt. Joe is a co-founder of Don Giovanni Records. He's also got a new record out under the moniker Modern Hut, a record called I Don't Want to Get Adjusted to This World. Lots to discuss. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Namdi for our intro music. Marcus Nuccio. For our graphics each week, you can see all those on our website, betteryetpod.com. invite you all to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Follow us on Bandcamp, .bandcamp betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. Hope this is finding you all well. Woke up today to the news of these murders in Atlanta, fucking sickening and infuriating. Seeing the way hatred and racism have been stoked in the last half decade, it's just so sad. And I think of friends of mine, Asian Americans, and the subtle and blatant racist bullshit that they've had thrown at them over the over the course of their lives. And, you know, that's only what I've heard. Um, not a very early uh episode of this podcast with mark chen of winter break and summer vacation and we talked a lot about all the bullshit that he's dealt with with people within punk within this diy community so we've all got work to do we've all got hatred around us that we can help work out when you look at something like what happened in georgia it's hard not to feel So fucking helpless, but what can you do? We had a guest staying with us the past few days. The lovely Pazelle. She's a very sweet dog, a little cavalier. Uh, Lillian Hadley were so unhappy about having this other dog here. Jay's allergies were raging. We made it through. Her owner wanted me to pick him up from the airport, though. I hardly know the guy. And just by looking at him, I know that he's seen the Keith Hernandez episodes of Seinfeld, so I don't, I don't know, it all, it all made me feel uncomfortable. I'm listening to a, a lot of dub lately. Mikey Dredd, Keith Hudson, Lee Scratch Perry. If you've got dub recommendations, send them to dot gmail.com, Hitting that Trojan Records box set, too. We have a Patreon, patreon.com. Slash at Podcast, where we've got some very fun audio-visual programming available to you, including my weekly top five. I was reading Razorcake over the weekend. Mikey Erg was on the cover. And I realized that the top five is always one of my favorite parts. So I said, I want to do one of those every week. Anything goes on there, anything from unsolved mysteries to John Bon Jovi's cover of fairy tale. Of New York, give you that one for free. He sings both parts. Shane and Kirsty. John's like, I got this. We also have conversations with Dave Garwacky of If You Make It, Kevin Duquette of Top Shelf Records, Bob Vialma of Shinobu Slash Fat and Funky, and a whole bunch of extras from the Life's Work podcast about Laura Stevenson's sit resist pertinent. To today's conversation. All my interviews with Laura, as well as my conversation with Chris Gethard, is up there. Plus, we get a weekly contribution from our guests. We got covers: Elisa Okusami of Ocean Nader covering Rancid's old friend, Drunken Angel by Lucinda Williams, as performed by Slaughter Beach Dog, Monica doing Fallen Away from Me by Corn, Demos, Anika Pyle, Mikey Erg drops several for us from his new record. And this week's guest, Joe Steinhardt, hit us with an early demo of the title track from his new record. You can only hear those on our Patreon. You can do $3 a month, and I'll give you access to all the bonus audio and visual content we're posting weekly. And if you pledge $10 a month, you'll get all that. Plus, every three months, sending out some cool merchandise. We've got custom printed notebooks. And I'm working on my first zine right now. I just laid out some stills from a Godard movie. Shit is getting serious. When I'm done with this, I gotta figure out which of these Euclid proofs I'm gonna set to this Wittgenstein quote. I'm not fucking around, y'all. Here's the thing about our Patreon as well. We split the revenue for this podcast evenly between the show, the guests, and organizations chosen by our guests. We're paying Joe for this interview. We're also sending money this week to Honor the Earth. Honor the Earth is an organization that works to create awareness and support for Native environmental issues and to develop needed financial and political resources for the survival of sustainable Native communities through music, the arts, the media, and indigenous wisdom to ask people to recognize our joint dependency on the Earth and be a voice for those not heard. Happy to be helping them out this week. If you'd like to support them and support the show, go to patreon.com slash podcasts. All right. My guest this week is Joe Steinhardt. Joe is the co-founder of Don Giovanni Records, a label he started with his friend Zach in 2003 to put out a 7-inch by their thrash band Talk Hard. The label will come into its own with releases from the Ergs, the Measure, the Steinways, A band that time ought to do a better job of remembering. And I'm also going to add another Joe band to that list. That's For Science. Two great LPs and an EP you can listen to. The collected works of For Science in under an hour. And I would highly recommend y'all do that. Don Giovanni would raise the stakes with the release of Screaming Females Power Move. And a little record called Sit Resist by Laura Stevenson. I got to know Joe pretty well working on that project. I've been a long time admirer of his label and the work that he's done. I went back and looked. Ten guests on this show have put out records on Don Giovanni. They've got a Kickstarter going right now to just repay some debts. We talk about that in the interview. We also have a link to that Kickstarter in the episode notes for this podcast. And these modern hot records, I tell you what, very good dark folk music in the spirit of Vic Chestnut. Dry humor, and Joe plays alongside Marissa from Screaming Females, and they create songs that really bring you somewhere. And it is all very Joe. We started to do the interview, and did about ten minutes before Joe said, we should start over, because he thought everything he'd said so far was boring So we're kind of trading barbs Throughout but it was a real joy To have him on and I'm happy to be Sharing it with you all Rate and subscribe Patreon.com For now here's me And Joe Steinhardt
1: In this world
0: Glad it's back. And you know what? I think it fucking helped solidify my friendship with Mike Campbell. This was like my, my my 2020 friend of the year. Hmm. Well, now what? So now, now you're giving me nothing. No, uh, what do you want? Take,
2: this is take two, I this, thought. This, this is, is it. This is
0: take two.
2: The, that was a segue to take two. Let's go.
0: Yeah, that's it.
2: What? Wait. That, should I? What? All right. You know.
0: No. I got. I got. Because. Because I had this question. I asked it a different way. The uh, first time. So I'm going to ask it the way that. Oh, I really, yeah.
2: You wanted me to just. I wasn't sure I was supposed to respond to. Some, there was no question yet. That's why I was like. Because if it was, I thought this was take two. Well, and no.
0: So, it was. You, you would say something like, "Yeah, Mike's great." I. I. Of course, of course, Mike. I, I envy your 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 closeness with him. Wait, you envy mine or I envy yours? You envy mine. I don't envy. I'm very close with Mike. Yeah, I mean, not not as close as me, though. That might be true. No, I'm not
2: envious. It's anything. It's like a mutual. I I appreciate it. Like, you're very, you know, anyone that gets to be close with Mike is very lucky. He's a great person. He works. I got a chance to hire him over, you know, COVID. He he gets to work. He works for me now. So, of course, I love Mike. I just, but uh, that wasn't a question. You looked at me like I was supposed to answer
0: that. Well, yeah, I don't know. I just thought... Um, you might want to add something. So anyway, um, Mike no. sent me Mike sent me this Modern hot record. Uh, and it, and I, I tell you what, and I don't mean to offend you by saying this. I didn't think it would be very good. It's OK. And, and I was surprised because it's quite good.
2: Thank you. But I mean, I think a lot of people don't think it's very good. And I, and I think that's OK. It's it's probably not for them. You know, like it's. um, Yeah, I don't know. Like if you, and that's true with all music, if you listen to a record and you don't like it, it's probably not for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that took me a long time to learn as a listener over the years, um, and to accept as a listener. Um, it's been easy. It's easier to accept that as the artist where it's like, Oh yeah. Like, I don't know who this record's for. I, can I get why anyone wouldn't like it? I'm really not a very good singer. Um, and you can't the songs aren't very fun, you know, um, but it's just like they're my it's my record
0: they're funny though
2: but yeah, they are funny to some people if you I think they're funny, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying like i it's it's just one of those things you um that you learn as a someone that listens to and puts out and creates it's like not everything's for everyone right yeah. how many There's very few things that like everyone just accepts there might not be anything that everyone accepts the sun some, some people, people probably hate the sun though you know like i don't know
0: yeah i mean a lot of people there is like old men yelling at the sun that's a thing right yeah i don't know but i
2: guess i'm saying there's there's like we I, I, will be hard pressed to sit here and find something that everybody accepts not everything's for everybody
0: uh-huh yeah but i think that you you made uh a record with Marissa that is, I think it fits very well into that, uh, that niche market of people who are like, Oh, Oh, the guy who produced uh, the Vic Chestnut records produced this. That's great. That's, that's all I need.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so Scott Stuckey made um, an album that I would consider like a favorite album of all time. I don't think I really have a favorite or even a top 10 or it's just like, it's again, it's like different times, different records are really important to me. Um, But that's one of those records that just has like been important to me in many contexts for a very long time. And,
0: and that's that's West of Rome.
2: That's West of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Scott made a couple of records. He made it some Brute records uh, that that the band Vic was part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just wrote him. Well, actually, it's for, he had written me about something unrelated to to mm-hmm. production. Like he, he makes music videos now. This was many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to have one of our one of our bands on his um, TV show, Pancake Mountain. And so I had his email, I guess, and I was like, I should just write him and see if he still like does any production or you know. And I wrote him, and I was like, Do you, do you still make records? And he was like, Well, like I could,
1: mm-hmm. I
2: haven't, but I could. Um, and so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we went and recorded a record in his, his attic. Um, he had to borrow some equipment from some friends Mm -hmm. on his street because again, he's kind of out of the game, doesn't have it, but it was, I mean, I was really happy with how it came out, you know, um, and then went to mix it in Wisconsin with Amos and add some, you know, I think I recorded at least one song, I recorded one, one song there. Um, and then Julia and Amos and added some vocals.
0: And the man, like the guitars on that thing sound so good too.
2: They're probably Marissa's. I'm a, I'm like a, I'm a terrible guitar player. And I I think that's one of the things is like recognizing your, your limits. Um, and, and this was true in a lot of the other records I played on like the for science records. I would be like, I, I can like, I can, write a song um but i can't always like play it very well Mm. and i think just why am i going to be the one that play especially when you're in the studio with like marissa who's like one of the best guitar players in in the world yeah why am i going to be the one strumming guitar um so i'm like why don't you just you strum this guitar (laughs) you know um or you play this solo here's how it goes you know like Mm. um and so but she 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 puts a lot of work into the modern hunt ones. Like, but, but a lot of those for science records, like, you know, someone like Jeff Shrek or Chris Pierce, someone that was like in the studio with us already, I'd be like, there's like a room for a solo here. Um, that's kind of like this. And you know, I'd be like fumbling to play it. And they'd be like, just I'll play it. Like, why don't you just actually redo the rhythm too while you're at it and just make the whole thing sound better, <laughs> you know? Um, so,
0: yeah. So studio musicians, that's the secret for science records
2: oh yeah um session musicians no not session musicians, studio just people we'd always have like 30 people in the studio making a for science record with us it would kind of drive every it would, it would drive even though chris was one of those people it would like drive him nuts um you know it's like we have to just get all these people out of here they can't just hang out and then they'd all leave and they'd like slowly you know come back in and make those records <laughs> stuff and but then they're all over the records like like if you you know it's not like they're special guests but it's like you know there'd be like someone playing a harmonica that was there and song and then there'd be like a solo that like jeff did and there'd be some vocals so there's just always a ton of people like hanging out we were like why don't you just do something on the record
0: um that's always the shit that like you know when you're sitting with a, a record and you're you're seeing like you know oh, whoever came and played on this fucking Faces song. (laughs) And I was like, they're just hanging out. But it becomes mythic in its own way. Um, So, But let me ask you, West of Rome, when did that come into your life? You talked about it being like a
2: a a special
0: timing.
2: A really good question I think the first time I really heard that record um, I ever heard that record was probably college um, but that records really was not a record that spoke to me too much in college um, it's a very mature record in a lot of ways and it deals with just a lot of it just it's, it just deals with a lot of like heavy themes and and I you know at that age um, my life wasn't that heavy yet um, and so I think it really started to speak to me a couple, you know, five or six years after I first heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it so about, you know, I was still probably, probably 10 years ago, maybe, maybe more, maybe 12, 15 years ago, time really kind of flies. Still with me a long time at this point, but it's not like one of those ones I wouldn't say I grew up with it. And I certainly wouldn't say the first time I heard it, I thought it was, um, anything you know special
0: um i think he's one of those one of those people that you kind of gotta like give him a few passes
2: oh yeah well, i think that's that, that's a lot of artists for me yeah um i can't i can't generalize this to everybody but certainly for me if there's something that i hear and i instantly like it i um i usually lose interest in it you know um and then eventually, and then, if there's something like if there's something that I hear that I really don't get, um, you know, it takes me a little while to get into it. It's something that sits with me for life. and like changes my life. Like most of the records that have really had a major impact on me, I don't think I would really say that I um, got the first time around. But I think again, that's also because of like just age. Like I was hearing a lot of records that would come to really. Um, influence like my life and the way I thought about music, but I was hearing them at a really young age. You know, I was hearing them when I was in like eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, there's, there's like two themes that an eighth grader or ninth grader is really that interested in. And then those, those two themes, like, aren't really that, that interesting ages, like 23 to I'm assuming death, you know? And so it's kind of like, and even now, the themes that I think really speak to me now, probably when I'm in my 60s, like will probably not really like resonate. And then there will be records that I never really appreciated till I'm that age because it's like, you know, I don't know. But it's I think there's just a lot to be said about that. Like a record, it has to really um, get to you at like the right time for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what were the what were the records in like eighth grade that really? Um, i mean eighth
2: grades eighth grades it was a was a really transitional year for me so i'd almost rather start when like something like fifth or sixth grade Uh and then i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like dodge your question i'll go back to it but it's like i feel like the question you're asking about eighth grade is really what you want to know about fifth and sixth grade Mm -hmm. eighth grade when i started discovering there was like music outside of like um you know the mainstream radio like that's that that was a kind of year like when i really started discovering like all kinds of stuff that still is with me today so if you're kind of asking about this like before time it would that would just be like catchy songs from the radio like it'd be like crash test dummies um Mm -hmm. nirvana obviously like um which is funny because i never listened to nirvana like ever anymore but they were just when i was younger um you know i loved like i love nirvana um
0: how could you not
2: what's what i'm saying like yeah. it was, it was just, but it was like i liked them as like a pop band you know um mm-hmm. i don't think i saw their any other any other side of nirvana at that age you know they were just like they had like singles you know um mm-hmm. even if i listened to the album it's like they kind of were a singles band to me they were and they were like a pop band i, I really did like crash test dummies mm-hmm. quite a bit i like counting crows No. Favorite
0: Counting Crows song,
2: song or album? Their albums. I mean, I think their first two records are really good. Um, I've been. I don't want to go with that
0: lately. Like, Angels of the Silences. Like, could you imagine if fucking Robert Pollard wrote? Angels of the Silences. It'd be the fucking biggest indie rock song. There was like the a hard
2: one in Florida that used to cut there was like the uh, Stretch Armstrong was it? I think they I remember I had like a seven inch where they covered Angels of the Silences. No, fuck yeah. In whatever year, like like the appropriate year. Um, <laughs> I mean I like like Goodnight Elizabeth. I like like I'm just trying it depends on the mood though. It's gonna I mean, I think hanging around, it's from like the it's from a record, it's generally not a good record as a full album, but mm-hmm. um there's some great fucking songs on it. I don't want to talk about counting crows right now. <laughs> we can. It's your podcast.
0: <laughs> Shout out to boring Chris, who you also don't want to talk about, but who no, we will talk about it. crows.
2: I said we shouldn't start start with it because people will not tune in to hear about it. Now we're in, people are hooked. Yeah, we can talk about boring Chris. we can talk about eighth grade, sixth grade. But yeah, I'm trying to indigo girls was was a group that I really I really liked. Like again, they're singles back then. Um, Alice and Chains were really good.
0: Okay, so lime melon. Eight, yeah, we eighth grade, and you're you're growing up in Princeton. You told my, me in our pre-production meeting that you were, <laughs> uh, you were born in
2: born in, in Pennsylvania, and yeah, mm-hmm. Jersey for high school in Princeton, um. So that eighth grade summer was actually the one between um, was between like Philadelphia and, and New Jersey that summer. Um, And just also happened to be kind of this age. It's funny. Like some people can really, can really pinpoint this stuff and I'm not going to, I'm sure if I really spent some time, like I won't, I won't do it here on the air because I'll just be sitting like staring at the ceiling thinking, but I've never put that time into like pinpoint exactly when i discovered there was like music outside of i know like when it was but um because i think it was a perfect storm it was like because green day was like around and nirvana was around and like Scott was Scott was like around you know and uh, these are all these things i was listening to and both but all three of these things and probably more that i'm you know had connections to like mail order and this other world of of music yeah. Um, you know, and music that you couldn't find in stores. Where you go and you like have heard of a band, and then you couldn't get their, you couldn't find the record in the store, and I had to kind of start to figure stuff out. So it was like I, there was not like this like moment where one day I was like, oh whoa, it was like this slow series of moments trying to track down records and stores not having them. Or I do remember going to like a local record store and asking for like a Metallica record they didn't have and the owner was like but you might like this band the misfits because metallica really like, is always repping the misfits which is funny because sonically they couldn't sound less alike and this was probably a really right. late store owner mm-hmm. in fact i kind of confirmed that because um i went to the store like again this was a very forward store growing up but then the store closed Is
0: this the big princeton record store
2: This is actually still in pennsylvania um oh, okay um, and this was the store I could get off on, like off the school bus on and I could buy like a CD of like, um, Pantera, great Southern trend Kill, and like walk home with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, this was, and, um, but it felt like these guys had given me these big recommendations and then the store closed. Like I, I, I one day went back to visit it, like after moving and coming back and the store was gone. I was like, Oh, that's a bummer. I wanted to kind of tell them how how they influenced my journey. And then like even more years later, I'd like learned online that the store owners opened up a new store, like two towns over. I was like, I got to go there. And I went there and the store totally sucked. That's why I don't want to say anything bad. I don't want to name any names. The store was awful. These guys clearly are, they're like those class, they're like classic rockheads, you know, mm-hmm. so, like there's no way these guys have really listened to the misfits or Metallica back then. And they were just kind of like, what's the youth buying? Okay. We don't have that. They'll buy this other one. And yet it was actually this like very formative moment for me. Um, one of the one of many, you know, um, but, uh, but again, I just, I really can't like, um, I, I can't pinpoint it. was like all this stuff together. Um, and then when I, when I moved to New Jersey is when I found out about like punk shows, basically like, like, like not, I, I was going to punk concerts, you know, and mm. like venues, um, when I was in middle school, like getting dropped off, or someone's friend's sister would like drop us, would drive us, or something. Um, but then, like, those were like kind of like punk concerts, like you could see, seeing like real big fish, or like the Aquabats, or a band that was playing at like a, a venue. Right. Um, but then in high school and New Jersey, I just met, I just somehow quickly connected with people that were like, here's hardcore shows and New Brunswick house shows, you know, and like, and here's the New Brunswick here's the Rutgers radio station. And like, this yeah. is a little crudo. So, like, it was just, but it was like, it was like, then it was like, it was like, bam, bam, bam. Like all this shit just happened in like ninth grade. Um, and what year is that? 1999.
0: Oh, okay. 98, so 80, mean, like, 98, 98 or 99. So like the lifetime bouncing souls era was kinda like, kind of past.
2: Lifetime played their last show, like right with say today, like right when I moved to New Jersey. At the yeah, um, it saves the day is like, like they like, not.
0: Lifetime's not fully breaking up. We're going to be them for the next year and a half. I think
2: it was like that summer um, that that show was, and so yeah, it was like that. It, it was like like Bouncing Souls. I would see them, but they'd be playing like Rutgers. Um, mm-hmm. They were they were bigger. It was like Hopeless Romantic. It was the one that was a like coming out. So they weren't mm-hmm. like massive yet. Mm-hmm. They weren't, I think they weren't the biggest they ever were yet, but it's like they were up there. They were starting to get like really big. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, maybe they, they, were they actually, weren't coming back.
2: Yeah. Um, but it's like they, that didn't feel like seeing, that was more like seeing like a punk concert, like I was saying. Like, and mm-hmm. I love Bouncing Souls, but I, I didn't see them in their kind of like underground years. Um, the bands that were really like owning. The shows i was going to was like this what was kind of called right to assemble era what i might have coined that term or i don't actually know there was a comp called right to assemble
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and it was like the, the that was the bands it was like tri-fill tri-fansion the degenerate storm shadow all these bands that i still really really love um and there was a lot of like beat down hardcore and stuff like going on too at the time um and just lots of bands coming through it was like a great time to be in New Jersey. It just felt like there was so much stuff happening in Philly um, where I could still go a lot. And there was so much stuff happening in New Jersey. Um, and this
0: is Philly, Philly kind of got weird there. Was that later when Philly got like, kind of, cause I remember, um, you know, when I went to see the survivors yeah. Um, yeah. and horror show played and Chris was like, just don't, don't look at anybody wrong for the next 20 minutes. It might've been that same era, but it
2: would have been like concurrent with that. Like this was, and this would have been slightly before because horror show, I think I was in like 11th grade when that band started, maybe 12th. Um, this was more like a little earlier. This was like the forty forty and and um, just another venue it was all the r5 stuff but it was like the forty forty, and i guess it was like, i think kill time that was like someone's house
1: mm-hmm.
2: i'm just trying to remember um but yeah it was like more it, it didn't feel it was that's what i'm saying it was same thing in new jersey it was like there were these like cool hardcore shows and there was like bulldoze there was like it was concurrent there was like the don't look at somebody funny shows and then there was like the like peace punks shows and i kind of at the time gravitated more towards the towards the peace punks shows Um, but there was a lot of good stuff coming out of the, don't look at someone funny shows also, you know, I just, I just didn't want to like be in those rooms usually.
0: And then, so a lot of people know that you've got this very separate life outside of music. You've got doctorate in communications. Um, and it's health and risk communication.
2: Yeah, health and risk is like that's that's like my like my doctorate's just in communication, but my area that I I am a, like my sub, you know my field I guess is health and
0: risk communication. Is that just like getting the message out to people?
2: It can be. It's 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 understanding how people make decisions about um, risk. So we usually and usually it has to do with science and environment or health, like you know everything from smoking cessation to um you know plant growing like mm-hmm. to, you know there's all kinds of different little areas so like understanding nuclear power and gmos um so just how people make decisions and then you and and then you can look at it both from messaging to sort of behavioral change and but that that's sort of my um that, that's the area that my academic research um and doctorate is in
0: mm-hmm. so um just for like the sake of the of the timeline undergrad was that in Boston undergrad was in Boston yeah and then uh, grad schools syracuse Ithaca um oh, okay but then
2: i um i was i went I moved back to New Jersey for like three or four years in between and i didn't go I didn't go straight from one to the other mm-hmm. I didn't think I, I never really like if I had like planned my life, I think I would have done things a little a little differently mm-hmm. um. But I didn't like. I didn't plan to go back to grad school. I didn't, you know, and so I, I thought I would just move to New Jersey and like work in the film industry and stuff like that. Um, and and so yeah, I just I moved to New. I, I lived in New Jersey for three or four years between.
0: So what did you? Th- what did you want to do in film? You wanted uh, to be. I wanted, you wanted, I wanted to, to hang out on. with Kevin Smith. You wanted to do what? You wanted to hang out with Kevin Smith.
2: No, but I, I don't. I, I mean, I. I don't. I I guess I have no thoughts on Kevin Smith. I don't have like positive or negative thoughts on him. He definitely wrote some stuff. Well, he definitely wrote some movies that made me laugh like really hard in that like eighth grade, ninth grade. You know. Yeah. But they're also, but those same movies are kind of like unwatchable. Um, like I, I, I can't get through them. Um, Mm -hmm. I tried kind of recently, actually, just for like I was like, I wonder if this movie is better or worse, and I. Uh um,
0: rats Yeah, Mollretz is Mollretz is a tough watch.
2: I think they're all really tough watches. Um But I I was curious how they would age with me, and I couldn't really get through them. But I but I also it's like they were very I thought they were very funny when I was like much younger. Mm-hmm. Um but no, I, I wanted to write and I still kind of do a lot of writing and then I wanted to make documentary. And I, a lot of that is like a lot of that stuff is actually how I, I've talked about this a lot, like how, how I kind of approached the label. Um, still is kind of very much informed by thinking about things from like a documentary, um, like, uh, paradigm, I guess.
0: What mm-hmm. I feel like I I'm following you, but maybe not quite. So, when you say approaching the label, like from a documentary paradigm, is it in a sense, like, cause I feel like you you're open with things. I
2: think about about what I'm doing. I think about what I'm doing, I guess, as, as documenting what's happening and Mm -hmm. rather than trying to shape or create what is happening. Yeah. Um, and I think that informs how I make a lot of, a lot of decisions with the label is I'm not, you know, cause there's other labels that try to like shape things and they use words like curate mm-hmm. uh, and they use, you know, things, you know, it's like, I'm not trying to shape culture as much as I'm trying to document and highlight culture and that's going on. Um, yeah. So I think I approach it more. It, it's it, And that's been my approach. And, and the, a lot of the theory and things I learned about like, writing and documentary and about like those approaches to filmmaking are kind of what inform my approaches to um running a label. And then what's interesting is as I've done this like long enough and I've met more people from labels that like really influenced me, those people talked about documenting and stuff. Like they used a lot of very similar terminology that I kind of also like kind of come to independently and been like, huh, I guess that, you know, it was just very interesting. Like I use that same metaphor. I use that same. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, like Ian's got like a card catalog of everything.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ian's someone that, that I think we've talked about that way Like Larry, you know, who ran a lookout and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, they'll talk about more things from like a documentary or archival Ian uses more like archival language, but it's very similar. And like, Larry uses more documentary language, but it's like, I think I come more from that school of thought than the school of thought of like, I'm going to like, I'm going to take like who I am and like push that onto the world. Um, this is more like, I'm going to document the world <laughs> around, mm-hmm. you know, but just like when you make a documentary, Right. You make choices of what you do and don't highlight. You still get to you tell a story the way, you know, um, and so I, I sort of like I think about it more that way. This is,
0: this is getting very interesting, I think. I think that you were onto something there because, I mean, I, I look at your label and when I when we get past the because you, you start this thing with with your buddy, Zach, for putting out a seven inch. Yep. for your band, Talk Hard, Sarah Connor's Will. I can't even find that shit on Soul Seek.
2: I think that's okay. <laughs> I don't really like to revisit that record very much, to be honest. Um, so I think that's okay.
0: Um, but when you move back to New Brunswick, that's kind of when the label, at least for a couple of years, really just becomes what's happening in New Brunswick. I
2: think so. I mean, so Zach moved back with me. Like we kept, he kept running the label with me for a long time. Um, but even in, even when I was running it, Zach and I were running it out of Boston, we were still only really working with bands for New Brunswick. Um, so I'm not actually sure. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I don't, maybe, what's the question or what's the, <laughs> I'm, 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 lost here. Well,
0: I, I feel like that's, I'm taking your documentary metaphor and saying like, here's what's happening in. Oh yeah. Like, in, in 2003 and four.
2: Yeah. It felt like for sure that like, that's what we were doing. It was like, what are the bands that are playing this music scene? Let's just, let's get their records out there in the district, you know, and so they can exist. Yeah, obviously this was before um Bandcamp, Spotify, and obviously even but even really before even
0: MySpace.
2: Yeah, I think my yeah, Myspace was around eventually, but I don't know right when we started. I can't remember. But um but yeah, it was just stuff just wasn't like used. Like mess there was like message various punk message boards across the country, but it was mostly not online. It was and it's certainly like if you were a band you had to have like a release, you know, a physical release. And so mm. it's all like we were documenting what was going on, like on record, getting bands to record and stuff and put it out.
0: I, and then, you know, bands like Snakebite, Shapeshifter, no shade on those bands. Brian, I know, I know. Be careful. But, Dork Rock, Cork Rod. I mean, the Ergs have to feel like there's something very, very special here. Like beyond just this is the best band in New Brunswick.
2: It's funny because it's like, yes and no. So like, yes, they were the best band in New Brunswick. Yes, Zach and I were obsessed with pop punk and there was no pop punk scene. It felt like. So we were putting out thrash, but Zach and I met because we actually liked sicko and Beatnik Nick and these pop punk bands. And so when we found a band playing pop punk, we were like, so fucking excited. So, and they, they ruled. So on one hand, the answer is yes. On the other hand, like it felt like a terrible idea to put out this record. Um, it had been out on CD for over a year. Vinyl wasn't in, like this is before vinyl was like back. So Zach and I were just into vinyl because we were weirdos. But but the idea of, but it was like the CD era. Um, and it had been out on CD and they were playing to a very small audience still. Like, like, yes, they were a very exciting band in New Brunswick and, um, but it's like most the, the biggest show I'd ever seen them at. There was probably 35 people there, <laughs> you know? So it wasn't like, it was like weird. And it was like, but we, it was more of Zach and I'd be like, what we need, I need a, I need a copy of this on vinyl. um, And we thought it was going to fold the label like um, in a very serious way because we'd only done seven inches.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: This was a 12 inch. So it cost like way more. Um, and we were like, let's just, and the label here like we'll be like because and the way we'd run the label was always like we weren't just sinking our money ever we always heard oh man running record label you're just gonna like throw your money away we didn't have money to throw away so from the very first seven inch on it was like we'll put our our money into this seven inch for our band and if we sell enough we will use the money that comes back to put out the next one and we'll use the money that comes back to put out the next one
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so we'd done enough seven inches we could uh, we had enough money to put all of it into like one 12 inch like all in. Um, and we were just like, we're never going to see this money back. Nobody is going to buy this on vinyl because again, it was not that era. Like where vinyl was, people weren't buying vinyl. A lot of record stores still didn't have vinyl sections. They were a record store had CDs.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, and again, it had been out for a while. Everyone already had it. Who would have wanted it? So it's weird. Like in retrospect, it's like, yeah, that was a, crackerjack idea but the only reason we put it out was because no one else would have thought of ever putting it out like or i just wanted a copy of it that badly and so did zach (laughs) it's the truth of it
0: well then that that's wild then if you put you put all that money into that one because it's not like you took much of a break because you had you're the measure Historical fiction. Yeah, the measure and... was a,
2: if, if you look back, history will show you the measure was a, because of the money issue, it was a three way split. It was us, uh... S- and the band each paid a third of it because no one had any money. And the measure, too, it was like, we're not, good. like, it was an It was weird because, like, even a few years later, like, vinyl was kind of in and you could, like, sell a lot of vinyl. But mm-hmm. this was more like, we're going to spend a lot of money making this item that like eight people in the band, like the band wants a copy, like huge nerds want a copy of this, but like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and so the measure, was like, look, if if we all put like a little bit of money in, I think we can afford to do this. Um, and so that was, so yeah, it's like, and, and Jerry's the best Prancers, but the next one was a, was a very similar circumstance. That record was started being pressed by somebody else and they like sent it to a pressing plant and then they like welched on the bill or whatever the right word they they just like ran on the bill Mm -hmm. and so the vinyl was just pressed at this plant and no and like it didn't so the urge called me and were like if you can put up like six hundred dollars we can get you these like 200 copies and then you can make jackets for them and we can like and it was like Okay, yeah, but it was another case where it was like we can't afford to like actually press this and scratch either, um, for the first pressing. But we can like afford to like rescue these copies from the plant. So what's interesting is like um, you look back at it and it feels like all the stuff was going on for each one of them. I had like there was a lot of like split releases or things that were just kind of like wonky going on, you know? Yeah, to make it affordable um eventually it started selling but it it not it wasn't this it wasn't like we put this stuff out and we're like yeah
0: yeah yeah it's not like okay cool like
2: not to mention it would cost us like six dollars to make or five dollars to make a record and then we were selling it for eight dollars like postage paid so it's like that's how much the urge record cost to buy it from us was like you sent us eight dollars postage mm-hmm. paid so it's like There also was no we were like not making any money back on it either it it, it, even doing well was basically just like (laughs) you know making it so that we could do another one
0: and when do you think it like started to or has it just always been a version of what you're describing
2: no there was a couple moments when it got a little bit more real um The first was still with the Ergs and it was with Jersey's Best Prancers. Um, Because again, we really had always approached it like fans Mm -hmm. of like, we just want to make these things for ourselves. Um, Like enthusiasts, hobbyists or whatever.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And not like, I want to run a label. So if, if there, if there was a, most of the records we put out for the first like 20 records were only put out by Don Giovanni because every other label would like pass on them or there just weren't, oh, there weren't labels for these great records. And I was like, okay, well, if, if, you know, if another label would put it out, I would have been just as happy like buying a personal copy. And it actually felt that way. It was almost, it almost felt important in that sense. It's like, let's not waste on Giovanni on records that other labels will put out. Let's make it for these records that really can't find a home. Mm-hmm. Um, is how it felt. And then a label that I really admired, um, at the time, like a kind of bigger Jersey label offered to put out Jersey best branches on CD. And we were like, Oh cool. Yeah. Let them do it. And then Zach and I were like, actually what if we did it and then tried to like do what a real label does, you know? Um, and the band for some reason was okay with like us doing that. And then we had to figure out what we thought a real label would do. Cause we had no distribution or anything like that at the time either. So we were like, we have to figure out like what, what a label can actually, what we can actually do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then there was a similar moment with Screaming Females where I was like, this band is too good and works too hard for, to not have a label that like actually like does stuff so I have to figure out what those labels do and and do them, you know. Um,
0: and that was kind of your—you had to pitch for Power Move. They were still gonna. Oh yeah, well they, they were gonna
2: saying? release it. Yeah, there was a whole. I mean, I've, I've talked about this a lot, but yeah, they like, um, yeah, w- like I, I um, I guess I can just kind of—I'll try to compress the story, but like they were—they were at the time, like in two thousand eight they were kind of like the band in New Brunswick, like, mm-hmm. and, but they were self-releasing everything, which I thought was really cool because like I was saying, that's like how our label got its start was some self-releasing stuff. And I love one artist. I think that's like the most powerful thing an artist can do is like self-release their own, their own records. Um, and so, but one of the fid from, from the measure um, and fan Chan and stuff Used to just like have people over to his house and watch bad movies and watch like Thirty Rock and stuff. Um, and one of the nights he almost played like Matchmaker. He was like, you know, Scream Females said the only label they would work with if they were ever going to work with a label was Don Giovanni. And I was like, really? Like that's so cool. And then I was like, well, we would work with them. And Finn was like, they would work with. Like he almost like set us up. Mm-hmm. So then we 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 met about it, and I was like, yeah, we'd love to put out your record. Like blah blah blah. They were like, cool. And then they went on this tour. And they got back from tour and they were like, you know, we talked about it a lot on tour and thought about it. I think we're just going to self-release it. And I was like, okay, like, that's okay. But then I was also kind of like, I'm going to give this one more shot. And I was like, we never, and I was like, you never, we never had an actual meeting about it. We just kind of like talked at a show. I was like, let's actually like discuss, let me make you an offer, Mm -hmm. you know? And they were like, okay. And then I was like, okay, shit, I have to, I've never made an offer before. You know, I was like, I have to figure out like what that really looks like um and so i sat down with Jarrett one night very late um we were in baltimore We, we had been in dc we were between dc and it was after a show in dc so i forget if we stayed in dc or baltimore it's not an important point we stayed very late and i was like here's what we can do we'll do all these things like we'll do press we'll do radio and these were things that like labels did not do like i know now a band like starts and then before they played their first house show, they had like a publicist and a manager. This was like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: no one had, it was like, there were like massive bands that didn't have public, like it just was not a thing in our scene yet. But I was like, yeah. what I, I was just literally like scrambling to be like, what can I offer? And so I was just like naming shit. I was like radio campaign, publicist, like you need all these things. Um, and then the next day they were like, yeah, Um you know what, let's give it a go. And I was like, okay, shit, I have to figure out how to like do all the, I have to like learn how to, how to like be a label. Um, And so that was another really, really like, um, that was another moment where it was sort of like, okay, I need to actually like, you know, change what I'm doing to some extent. But then to some other extent, everything's just kind of like very similar. Even now it's like, I've just, I've gotten a lot better at what I do. Um, like I've just gotten better at it from 18 years of experience, but, but it's like you order, you email, you order a record. I see the order like myself, I like go and I pack it up and I put it in the mail and I lay out a lot of the records and I still, and it's, it's like a lot of things are the same way more things are the same than are different. I would say we we have distribution now, um, I'm able to afford to hire people to like help me with certain things like Mike. Um, and I have a, I have a former student that does mail or when I'm not in town or when we have tons of stuff, he helps me do it together. But in general, I, it's like, I just like, I, um I still kind of just try to handle everything um, as it, as it scales up. And it's very, it's shockingly similar to what we were doing with like the very first records.
0: Yeah. It's really humbling, like, just looking at the Discogs page for Don Giovanni and just seeing, like, this 15-year history of punk. And I don't really have a question attached to that, but it's... I don't know, it's its a really special thing to see the way... A band like Screaming Females comes in. Someone like Laura comes in, and you know, there's like the the stalwarts, like big guys, and then there's Tenement and Inaco and it just I don't. It, do you get sentimental for this? Do you? I feel like I ask this to people who run labels a lot. But, like, do you ever just, like, look at that catalog and say, fuck.
2: I don't know if sentimental is the right word, but, like, I do feel, like, really privileged and lucky to have gotten to work with, like, so many, just work on so many great records over the years with so many great artists. Like, I'm not sure what, I'm trying to think of what, Like, I feel like sentimentality implies something a little bit different. Um, but... I mean I listen i I listen to like this is the music that I listen to, you know, and so mm. um, it feels very good to be able to like have this library of music I've worked on that i that I listen to um, and to get just, just get to work on so many exciting records um I'm not sure if sentimentality like I'm not very nostalgic with this stuff, which maybe that's what you mean by sentimental i don't i don't look back at it very often Mm. or i don't look back at it in a nostalgic sense like i said i I just i actively listen to (laughs) records you know from 18 years ago but not in like a nostalgic sense if that makes sense
0: yeah i think that what i see like with your label a lot is that like you know if i'm to like block off the years it's like i can see the the trends and the micro trends of, of punk that are happening, um, you know, through the releases that are coming out, but yours, the through line for it is that they're just good records. They're just fucking good records.
2: I I like to think so. Um, but again, the, the way I kind of approach it, um, has been more about actually good people. um, I really vouch for every person that I've worked with other than the people that I, I've dropped. Like if I don't like working with people, um, I, will, I will not, <laughs> I will drop their catalog and stuff, you know, which is very rare. It hasn't really had to happen, mm-hmm. but you know, just a few notable examples. Um, and generally it's the opposite. I just work with the same people like for as long as I can on, on whatever they want to work on. And as they develop, the label changes. And that's what I mean by that more documentary approach. It's just like, um, I can't always tell you where, where this is going, but I can directly, like, you can just pick an artist and be like, where do they come from? And I can like narratively connect it to, to any other record, like on, on the label, because it is actually this, like, it is this like narrative, no matter how different some of the things seem or disparate or like, they all actually really, they really connect in that, in that way, which I think why it's so, um, why it might feel consistent, but it's also why it's like not for everybody. I think there's a lot of people that just like, don't like any of this stuff because it, because it's all connected. Um, And yeah, I don't know, but I, I am, um, I'm not that, I guess I, I try not to be that nostalgic for stuff. I don't think it's very useful.
0: I know that you're in an interesting position now with the Kickstarter. And I know you've done this before, and it might my, my wife was like this morning was like, "Is everything good with Don Giovanni? I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, this is like a preemptive move am i right is that is that a good way to to characterize it yeah, yeah and I tried to
2: make that very clear in the Kickstarter, where it's like I'm not looking to be saved, I don't want you to donate money that you believe should be going to to be um like saving or rescuing um but it's it's been like a it's been like a very challenging expensive year um and it just was something you know but i tried to just put all that information in there i don't want to worry worry anybody but also it's like i don't want to be um like if we were in a lot of if we were in trouble like seventy five hundred dollars wouldn't really wouldn't fix things you know if we ever get to a point where i'm like we need to do a fundraiser to save the label it'll be a different it'll be a much larger number you know yeah and so it's just it's just the kind of thing where it's like i hope people also just understand that but it's also why it's just you know it's just like a fun thing to do it's almost it's almost like a spring cleaning but it's not annual it's like okay it's time to do another one to do it. You know, let's raise some some money to pay down some debt Sell people some test presses and give people some deals you know it's more i i approach it more like that Then again, if we ever have, if we need to be like rescued or something, it'll just, it'll look a lot different than this, you know, Mm -hmm. that's all. And I hope we never need to be rescued. And I just, I don't think that's the way we'll go out. It's like, I feel like it'll hopefully be a lot more graceful than like, because once people start doing fundraisers to be rescued, I I just I don't I can't I can't can you think of, I'm just thinking really hard I can't think of any People that did a fundraiser to be rescued That actually survived It's always like save This historic you know whatever And then Like they still go Under a year later and you're like Well we raise why do we raise all that money Um because the truth <laughs> Is like usually that's a sign of just Because that's a sign of much much Deeper troubles right it's like if a venue Were institution is in so much trouble that they need to do like a public fundraiser what that usually ends up doing is paying down the debt and then they can finally fold right Right. so i don't want to do that like that's not my plan it might happen i can't ever predict the future but i've always tried to be much more conservative with with money we're just I'm, i'm just not speculating or spending money in a way where um where we're like so all in or something like that, that that it could take everything down. That said, it's like, just like coronavirus was completely unprecedented for certain types of businesses that no matter how conservative they were with spending, it was like, no one was expecting this. I, don't, I can't tell you that something won't come that will just make it different, but I don't know. This, the Kickstarter is more just like a fun way to sell some stuff.
0: I'm gonna tell you the test press that I would like off air.
2: Okay. I hope I have
0: it. Well you made it seem like you would. So Uh-oh. I hope so too. Uh, <laughs> so talk to me about about working with Marissa. The first Modern Hut came out in twenty thirteen. You made that together to was the did the the project depend on Marissa's Participation.
2: What do you mean? Did it depend on our participation?
0: Well, you're you're writing these songs. Oh, what was it?
2: No, she was. She came in more as like a producer. You know, I mean, she she's my best friend. So we work on a lot of, we just hang out a lot, and work on stuff together, and she's like immensely talented. And so it, I was like, hey, I'm doing this because modern modern hot has been around for a very long time, at different incarnations. Like as soon as for science broke out, that was like 2007. Like there was a modern hut in like 2008 that just sounded very different. There was a time I had I was doing a duo called Modern Hut with with this person Chelsea, who's mm-hmm. a friend of mine that sang on some For Science records. So like I've been doing Modern Hut f- before I even knew Marissa, um, but but um just through being like her friend and I was like, do you want to like help me make these songs better, you know? And because even that even that first record I recorded like whole thing, maybe three times different ways. There was a full band version that was like uh fit was on. I think maybe Mike was
1: on. Mm.
2: I can't recall. Like I recorded that record a bunch of different ways and I just didn't like the way it came out as like a rock record. Didn't really fit. Um, so yeah, it just, the one working on it with, but we're just add some like a little guitar accents and some vocals and just kind of like worked on that one with me. She didn't do too much like real production work. Back on that one, the way that on the new one, I like sent her demos and she like worked on, you know, she did more with like more being a producer. Mm -hmm. The first one, she just kind of like sang on and added some parts like after, after the fact, almost.
0: And so you got eight years in between. I tell you what, I listened to that, that title track. I don't want to get adjusted to this
2: okay oh, the, the, the second one sorry I, it yeah, a, yeah. I, like, I don't think there's a title track on the first one but i was like maybe i'm wrong yes i don't want to get adjusted to this world yeah
0: yeah i listened to the iris dement version this morning that's a
2: great version of
0: it holy fuck man i'm still recovering from that shit
2: she's one i mean she's one of my favorite she's one of my favorite singer songwriters um of all time like she's been a major influence i've talked about her a lot and like other interviews for science references her and uh, one of the songs I wrote. Oh really? Yeah. And I think Soul that. I'm trying to remember which song it was, but that song's a, a is an old gospel, like tune, like she didn't write that song either. Her version's mm-hmm. great. Um, I think like the looper trio version is kind of like the, um, the, stand, the, the um, standard version, but we could do a whole podcast about Iris, just like I could about Vic. Like she's someone that I've seen a bunch and really, she's a great songwriter, but I like reading interviews with her talking about her approach and stuff. She's great.
0: What do you like about her? Like when she talks about her approach,
2: she's very slow. Like me, she makes a record every like seven years, (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) talks about having to kind of like live through stuff before she writes, um, before she writes it, you have to kind of, you have to kind of like live a little bit, live, live through life. Um, you know, and I just, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. And she's written a lot of my favorite songs.
0: Um, the record's out. We got a very small number of vinyl copies, which I yeah. think is very cute. I just
2: figured like, yeah, why make, why make more than is needed?
0: <laughs> you know, there's another one for you too. You get to have it. Yeah. Um, I, just want to thank you for your time and and for coming on the show and
2: um yeah i hope this was good i feel like we could have gone in so many different directions
0: well i I'd, i'd like to say too that i think that uh you've always carried yourself very well in the position that you're that you're in and integrity goes a long way and it's something i admire and and try to uh put into practice thanks yeah i appreciate that <laughs> oh. all right let's well, check out modern hut online modern hut dot don giovanni records.com better yet pod.com better yet podcast bandcamp.com pleasure the show on patreon patreon.com slash better yet podcast we will see you next week thank you friends
1: I've got